Cobalt Press has a new Kickstarter for the Wastes of Chaos. We're going to talk about a new feature that I'm offering to patrons to make it even easier to search through previous episodes of the Lazy D&D Talk Show. We also have a Kickstarter spotlight for Anatomy of an Adventure by M.T. Black, and we're going to do a product spotlight for Plane Breaker by Monty Cook Games. All that plus the first set of the September 2022 questions from the Sly Flourish patrons, all here on the Lazy D&D Talk Show. I'm Mike Shea, your pal from Sly Flourish, here to talk about all things D&D. The Lazy D&D Talk Show is brought to you by the patrons Patrons of Sly Flourish. Patrons get access to an exclusive Discord channel, exclusive adventures, previews of upcoming events, the City of Arches campaign sourcebook, all kinds of different material. Most of all, they help me put on shows like this. If you would like to be a patron of Sly Flourish, please check out the link in the show notes below. Cobalt Press continues to put out Kickstarter after Kickstarter of really cool material. And the next one that they are putting out is Wastes of Chaos. This is a new sourcebook that I think is gonna follow much of the same format as like Ebon Tides did. It has material for both players and GMs to run sort of wastelands, you know, the tales from the wastes. So it's actually going to be two books, Waste of Chaos, which is sort of a campaign campaign book with a bunch of player options, and Tales from the Waste, which is going to be a bunch of adventures. And you can pick up both. As always, you can pick it up in physical versions, PDFs, but also pick up versions for your v- virtual tabletop of choice. Here, let's take a look at the table of contents. Obviously, they don't have page numbers yet because they don't know exactly how big the book is going to be. So it's got monsters, it's got places, spells and magic, gear and ancient treasure, Midgard lore, that Midgard lore, that appendix is pretty interesting because one of the things that Cobalt Press seems to be doing strategically is writing books that focus more on general source material you can use in any campaign instead of writing books that focus on one particular area. If you pick up a book like Ebon Tides, for example, Ebon Tides definitely has a focus on Midgard kind of stuff. But if you look at like the Tome of Heroes, Tome of Heroes is very general purpose. I think the new Tome of Beast 3 is also the same way. Instead of doing a book that's built around the Wasted West, a particular region of Midgard, which I'm very eager to see, they're they're writing it as more of a general purpose book of weird magical wastelands that you can drop in any game. And then they're going to have an appendix of areas for the Midgard, the Midgard part of this, the Wasted West. I think that's a smart, a smart way to go. It's kind of interesting. I guess I'll see when I actually have it in hand. If you look at Southlands, for example, the Southlands book, which is an excellent source book, is definitely focused on Midgard. I don't know that I have too much trouble taking a book like that, stealing what I want and dropping it into any world anyway. So it's a mostly a matter of like, are you designing a book as a bunch of components to be stolen and used in your game? Or are you writing about a particular region that you could use as part of this game, but then people can definitely steal from it. So I think it's an interesting experiment to see how it goes. And I, I don't know that we'll fully know how well that works until we have it in hand. One of the things that I try to think about, and my, uh, Southlands is a good example of this, that Southlands is three books. It is the Southlands campaign book, the Southlands player book, and the Southlands adventure called the City of built around the City of Cats, a bunch of adventures built around this place known as the City of Cats. The advantage of that is when you pick up the campaign book, which is a nice meaty campaign book, it's all pure campaign material. It's not packed with a bunch of character options. You don't have to worry about navigating your way through subclasses and stuff like that, because all of that is in the player's guide. I kind of prefer that, but I think it's really just a matter of page count. And if you look at a book like this, it means there's going to be less of a page count focused on regions and locations and stuff. And there's going to be a chunk of that book that's built on character options. My only argument about character options is I just don't know how often they're used. I suppose if you're running a campaign that's built around this, you would say, these are the character options we're going to use for this campaign. And I think it's probably not a bad idea for us to get more used to that. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out when it when it's actually out. Then, of course, they have a bunch of piles of monsters, gear, spells, magic, all that kind of stuff. So I think, I mean, I'm always on board. Anything Cobalt Press puts out, I, I definitely back it right away. I get, the, I get the physical version. The physical versions of their books have gotten significantly better. The old books were not bad. The older books, starting from about Empire of the Ghouls backward, used a different kind of paper. They used, I, I, you know, more of an opaque paper where the color depth wasn't quite as good as the new paper. The new paper is definitely like a semi-gloss paper. And it means that the artwork in the physical book is much, much richer. I really prefer it and I really love it. And I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that they're going to keep going with that same style with Wasted Chaos. So I am, I am, I am eager, I am eager to pick that up. I think that this one, they're, they're getting involved in the miniatures side too. This is something we're seeing more and more Kickstarters doing, which is offering miniatures collections. I don't know that it was Ghostfire that started this trend or not but i know that more kickstarters for tabletop rpg products are starting to include miniatures with their with their selection 
I don't really need the miniatures. That's fine. If people want them, great. Go with the gods. I'm you know, Minis aren't really my thing. I mean, I have so many miniatures. I really just don't need more miniatures these days. But I'm not by any means saying they shouldn't do it. I know it's a good way to get your average pledge up. I'll tell you that. So it looks really good. I'm, I'm eager to back it. They have just about 1,500 backers, 26 days in. 50 bucks for the for, for Waste of Chaos hardcover and PDF is 50 bucks. If you want both the, the Wasted West, a Waste of Chaos and the Adventure book in physical versions and the PDFs, it's 90 bucks. So that's a pretty good deal. The PDFs of these are often 20 to 30 bucks on their own. So that, that $90 for two physical hardcover books and two PDFs of both of those books with all the with all the stretch goals included. That is a that, that to me is actually a pretty good deal. So that is Wastes of Chaos by Cobalt Press. I do a lot of talk shows. I do a weekly talk show and on any given weekly talk show, I will probably talk about 10 different topics. During my whole process of editing these videos, I actually put markers in for all of the major segments of a talk show. And I put that into the table of contents for the YouTube video so that you can find it there. You can click to just whatever segment you want. You just want to hear about me talking about one particular thing. All you have to do is watch that one particular thing. You just want to hear about Patreon questions. You could just watch those. You don't want to hear about Patreon questions. You can focus on the other stuff. I really want these videos to be useful to a lot of people. One of the things that I've offered up is I, I wrote some some fancy Python scripts that could actually go and scrape those YouTube video pages and pull down the tables of contents and then put them in a big database so that you could search. It was a Notion page where you could go to the Notion page and you could search and you could find a topic. So I also recently just added the capability for the Discord bot. I have a Sly Flourish Discord bot in the Discord server, which is available to patrons of Sly Flourish. And in that Discord bot, you can now search that topic database in Discord. So if somebody else is talking in Discord, they bring up a topic, you know, I think I think Mike might have talked about that. You can type slash talkso search and then run a query and it'll say here's the YouTube video and that segment. And it's linked to the segment of the video. It's linked one notch down from the video itself. It, it goes just to that piece. And that way, and I think there's over like 800. So because I wrote that little functionality into the bot, it overly complicated my whole workflow. And I was like, I got to rethink how I'm doing this whole thing from editing the video to getting those markers to building the table of contents for YouTube to building the table of contents for the podcast version for then turning those into a CSV file that can go. It was this big, long, complicated process. So this past Friday and a little bit, a good chunk of yesterday and a little piece of this morning, I sort of rewrote that process. And one of the advantages that it now has is instead of a notion page, I now have a dedicated page. This is available to patrons of Sly Flourish. Patrons can get it. It will, it will, it will be in the link of your patron rewards. And this is a big database that you can search and you can say, we just want to see things about Spelljammer. You type in the search for Spelljammer and it brings up all of the topics that are listed that have Spelljammer. It indexes the topic name, so it's not going to dive into any particular thing that I've talked about. You want to see all of the Cobalt Press ones. Here are the 18 different times that I've talked about Cobalt Press. Hey, there's the Southlands. You can do searches on that. Everything has a topic category too. You can sort by topic category. So you can sort of flip by that. You can also do a search. Let's say oh, I just want to do product spotlight. I could just type in product spotlight Cobalt press and it only brings up the spotlights. So it's a really handy way to view and to search and to sort. And as you can see, it's really, really fast, right? It's, I think there's, yeah, there are 858 total entries, but you can see that it's very, very fast to be able to do this search for this page. So I think that this page is far more useful than the Notion page originally was. And the nice thing for me is this page is updated as I'm updating the other stuff. So every Monday at about one o'clock, the bot on Discord and this page will be updated with that Monday's video. And it's pretty automatic. It's pretty close to automatic. It's still, I still have to do a little tiny manipulation on Sundays when I edit the video, but the same manipulation I'm doing to generate the table of contents for the, for the podcast actually is what generates the files that does this. It's done the same way. It was a lot of fun trickery. I was literally doing it about 6 a.m. this morning for you guys because I want, I want to help you guys run awesome games. So this is kind of a new feature that's available to patrons of Sly Flourish. Really handy way for you to search all 858 different segments that I've done over the past two years on the talk show. You can do any, you want to do combat. You know, here's all the searches where I've ever brought up combat. Anytime, anytime that you want to find a thing. And you click on any of these, Tactical Combat and Theater of the Mind. Click that. Vance D, if running Theater of the Mind, how do you- It goes right, right to that, right to that segment. Of, of the video. Really, really handy. So I want to show it off mostly because I spent 
probably, I don't know, eight hours writing all the little backend Python code in order to generate all this stuff, modifying a bunch of old code that I had and getting it to work. So I, I like, I like, I like showing off, but also because I think it's really useful. And if you want to dive into these shows, I think this is a far better way to dive into the show. We're going to take a look at another Kickstarter. This is Anatomy of an Adventure by MT Black. So M.T. Black wrote a big book. It's going to be a big hardcover, big hardcover book talking about what it may, what it takes to make an adventure. This kind of book is right up my alley. And what I, what I love about books like this, there's a lot of different books like this. There's a lot of books where they talk about advice for making adventures or making campaigns. And a lot of them are essays. A lot of them are essays written by a bunch of different people. And the problem with that is the essays aren't really tied together. You're not really getting one coherent thought. So an example is there's lots of books about like how to prep your game. But a lot of time it's like a bunch of different essays written by a bunch of different people how to prep your game. One of the reasons I think like Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master is useful is it's one person's opinion from top to bottom. It's one person's view that covers the whole topic range from top to bottom. In the same way, M.T. Black is the only writer of this who's writing from top to bottom all of the things that make sense when he's thinking about how to build adventures. So 20 chapters long, going to be a, a, a great big book. This is the second edition of a shorter book that he wrote on the topic. And the question comes up of like, is this useful for people that are publishing their own material or people that are actually generating adventures. And I would say both. I think that while some of the material that's in here is definitely like, how are you building adventures that other people are going to run? I think there's a lot of material that I remember from the original version that also just helps you think about adventures in general. So it's not focused exclusively on just DMs or GMs. It is definitely focused on those who are GMs, GMs, but also who may be publishing their own material because he's, he's definitely looking at it from the point of view of people who are writing adventures that other people are going to run. But that said, I think anybody, I think people can definitely get value from this, whether you are just a GM running for your home game or whether you are looking to write adventures that you want to publish in the, in the, in the world. It's going to be a good, good, decent sized, good, decent sized book. M2 Black has written other books like this in the past, and I've really found them enjoyable books. Not only is he an excellent adventure writer and a writer of source material that we can use in our games, but he really thinks about the whole process a lot. And he brings all of the experiences that he has into books like this. So I am definitely, I am definitely looking forward to this. The, the PDF, I think it's going to be, it's going to have a print on demand version. So for $12 Australia, which is about $9 US, you can get the digital tier which includes anatomy and adventure oh, that's the tomb of the twilight tomb of the twilight king so you get your tomb of the twilight king adventure as well you also have a physical tier which is going to offer you a print on demand book at cost so even though it's only i think 12 bucks 11 dollars, you're not getting a physical book for 11 dollars. you're getting the ability to order the print on demand at cost for 11 bucks i'd imagine the print on demand is probably about 10 dollars if it's black and white interior i think it's like 10 bucks you know, 10, 12, $10, $12 for the hardcover, maybe more. It might be as many as $20 hardcover. Still far better rate than you'll get if you were to order directly from the website when you're done. So I just love books that kind of dive into the topics. And I, I think that this is going to be right up my alley. I'm really, I'm eager to read it. He's a really, really smart guy. And just getting that kind of experience is really good. And you can find a link to this Kickstarter in the show notes below. Let's talk about Plane Breaker. Plane Breaker is a source book. This was a Kickstarter done by Monty Cook Games last year. The books just got delivered and you can now go buy the physical version of Plane Breaker and the PDF are both available on Monty Cook Games website. You can find a link to that in the show notes below. So you can pick up the PDF of, of Path of the Plane Breaker for $20 or you can pick up the, the PDF and the book for $61. So pretty, pretty good rate. And one thing I'll tell you, the physical design of Monty Cook Games' books are outstanding. They are the... Just, they're absolutely beautiful, absolutely beautiful books. So what is my one-line powerhouse review about Path of the Plane Breaker? I am no longer worried about what Wizards of the Coast does with Planescape because I have Path of the Plane Breaker. This book is a wonderful example of how to build material around one common idea that is useful for DMs for years to come. I, I've often talked about how much I love Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. And this book is very, very similar to Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. It is, it is built in very much the same way. In particular, it has lots of examples of lots of different worlds, each of which you could expand into its own either small adventure or one-shot game or small adventure or even a larger campaign. And it has this overall campaign that sort of connects it all together. 
And if you think about the theme of Plane Breaker, it actually very much fits the same kind of thing you would expect from something like Planescape. If you're not familiar with Planescape, Planescape was a setting that came out in Dungeons and Dragons. I think it was back during second edition when it came out. And if you're not familiar with it, but you want a really wild place where you have lots of different expansions in the other territory, we now have a lot of different options available. You have Radiant Citadel, which just came out. You have Ravnica, books like Ravnica that came out. But now we also have a book like Planebreaker, where we have all of these different worlds that are connected. And they're not all just kind of dark and dismal places like you find in Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, which makes sense. This one has a whole different range of different places. So like many books of its type, it includes source material, both for the land and the layer around it. It includes a bunch of different monster and NPC stat blocks. It includes some character options for new subclasses, even new races. Some of the new races are particularly interesting. It includes two short adventures that can tie to some of the locations. And it has a whole bunch of back matter, which I would refer to as like different tools that you can use to generate encounters or even generate other landscapes or even like weird items that the characters find. So I find this overall book really offers a great toolkit to DMs to use the material that's within it. And that's something where I've seen other source books that don't do it particularly well, where sometimes you'll read a source book and they're very into their own words. They're very into their own descriptions. And they're not really thinking about how a DM is going to take this and use it in their game. How are they going to grab the components that they've got and really use it in their game? And this one, there, there are definitely some publishers who are very good at publishing books that are built recognizing that you're a DM. And if you look at some of the other spotlights that I've done in the past, Drakenheim, I talked about Dungeons of Drakenheim. I talked about Plangea, another excellent book that just offers material that is easy for a DM to digest and to grab and to go, I know how I can use that in my game. And here are ways that it can easily integrate it. And here are some tools that help me use it in my game. Because that's what we really want as DMs is we want tools to help us run our games. We want material to inspire us, but we want tools to help us run it. And sometimes the inspirational material is there, but so are books and TV shows and everything, but they're not written for me to just drop into a game. Source material like this is written for me to drop into my game. So it should be formatted that way. And Path of the Plane Breaker definitely, definitely is. Uh, really, really good book. One thing that is always outstanding about Monty Cook Games books is the artwork is just through the roof. And all of my Numenera books that I've talked about, I've been talking about Numenera for a long time. Numenera has gorgeous, gorgeous artwork. A lot of the artwork and a lot of the style of the artwork you see in Numenera, you can find in this book. It's all individual art, all brand new art. But, but just, I mean, even look at this, like the city on on the back of a of a giant walking you know, Titanic primordial, awesome stuff. And that's actually one of the planes is what you're, what you're looking at. So the concept for the plane breaker is that there is this moon sized structure that is sort of tearing its way across the sky of different, of different worlds that often have sentient creatures there. And it's leaving this path behind it, this sort of rift that exists between the worlds. And there could be different reasons why this object, why this massive, this, this massive structure is hammering through. It could be escaping something. It could be seeking something. There are descriptions in here about what the motive motivation is that's causing this huge moon-sized object to go tearing through these different worlds. So that's that's a very cool concept in itself. Throughout the book, you'll see that it has this idea of like, you can do different arcana checks and depending on what you roll in your arcana check, you could learn more. Again, very good, useful DM aid. Instead of giving information and telling me like, oh, here's how you could drop this in or here's what they might know. They're dropping a table right in, roll an arcana check, DC 15, you know what this is true. And you can always change your mind and say, I'm going to let some of this information be more widely known than this and change your DCs. But it's nice to have like a little tool here. So there's definitely like little tricks that they've done. I'll point out some of the other tricks that they've done that just make this book easy to use. And that's what's so important. It's like, hey, it's a really awesome theme. It's really awesome. And I mean, I mean, awesome, not just as 1980s cool, but really big in scale and scope and makes your brain explode out with all of these great ideas. And that's very important. But also then it's just practical. It's a practical book that has practical things in it that you can use at your table. If you can't tell, I really love this book. And it does mean like, I don't have to worry about another product landing it because I have this. 
this is already really good. If I wanted to run a Planescape game, but Planescape comes out and it's more like Spelljammer, it's like, well, it's a nice adventure, but it's not really something I can, you know, use. I have this and this would let me build Planescape-y style adventures for as long as I wanted to go. They have read aloud text all throughout and they have read aloud text, not even just for adventures, but locations and ideas and everything else. They drop in this read aloud text. Maybe you don't like read aloud text. Maybe you're like, ah, it's a waste of space. But you can read it to yourself and it still gives you an idea of what's there. But also it's practical. I can take this book. I can just read it out loud right from the book and use it directly on the spot. So I think that that's that's really good. They have these breakout quotes too. Many times the breakout quotes give you a good summary of what you're of what you're kind of looking at. So the whole idea is this big, crazy moon egg shaped moon is burrowing, you know, hammering through. It doesn't spin or tumble. It's actually stays in the same orientation. And there's actually a city that's on top of that thing. That's sort of your sigil, your sigil like city. Then you have this thing called the path. The path is the, the, the remnant of this thing tearing through space. It is a roadway and you can actually go on the path. And by walking the path, you can go from world to world. If you read a book like Hyperion or you read a book like Pandora's star, they have this idea of like, you know, in Pandora's star, there's a journey that takes place of a couple of characters who are like literally just wandering through the woods, but they're jumping from planet to planet to planet as they go. Cause there's this weird pathway that kind of exists that humans can't really understand. But you know, like if you follow it, if you follow a guide who knows the way you can make their way through the path is sort of like, that only it's sort of elevated above the world so you can make your way to the path and sort of make your way there and they have these things called path tokens which is these weird artifacts that can kind of take you to the path and help you transfer so there's good ways for like low level characters and they talk a lot about it like how does a low level character jump from all of these different worlds they kind of have that they, they, they have a, a few different ideas about how people can jump from world to world there's a whole section of the the, the, the plane breaker is the name of this big thing tearing through the, the planes and there's a whole area they have a chapter on an area called the sea of uncertainty a whole sea of like strange weird artifacts strange remnants of the of the pieces that it ripped through from the worlds that it that it that it ripped through and salvage and then they have the city of timeborn and timeborn is a city that is sitting on top of the plane breaker it is again it is sort of your sigil like city this one central hub that travelers can come to in a whole different area and much like sigil it has a matron who's sort of in charge of things if this patron ever calls upon you you better show up and if you don't she will literally devour your head so neat ways of having trade neat ways of having sort of a home base if you want to have them kind of transfer from different systems beautiful art like check that out weird alien giant alien statues out front of this massive city huge rifts in the city the city's kind of an old ruin itself even the city of timeborn itself could be like a whole place with full of adventures and full of old ruins and stuff a cool map kind of a cool society about who operates there, different places that you can visit, a good usable town that you can that you can drop in that's sitting on the back of this massive this massive asteroid that's tearing through space. And again, you can see read aloud text everywhere, content warnings, little descriptions of things that are going on there. A lot of times they use different lo- different NPCs and they just in the sidebar they say, "Hey, this uses the mage stat block." Kind of a handy way. You know, Supervisor Nang has the guard stat block with a plus 6 intelligence and wisdom checks and saves. Again, just gorgeous artwork all throughout this book. The whole book is, is beautiful. And the physical version is really beautiful. This is the Mantis. She runs court. She has like a, a Glabrazo and a Diva who both serve as her voice when you're meeting with her. And she is sort of, you know, she won't get involved in everyday activities until she does. And when she does, it's a real, it's a real problem. Here's the idea about why the plane breaker is traveling through and what are some secrets of the plane breaker. And you get to kind of decide which of these are true. Is it a cosmic mausoleum? Is it a moon that is trying to survive from a great cataclysm that occurred before? Is it a giant treasure hoard that's buried down deep in this thing that's sort of flowing through time? So then you get into a whole bunch of different chapters. We have about, it looks like 19 different chapters of 19 different worlds that the plane breaker has ripped through and this is another one where like you can use the idea of the plane breaker or not maybe you don't dig it or maybe it doesn't fit your campaign you don't need to use the plane breaker you can just grab some of these worlds and maybe you only grab them as like a little piece of lore that the characters discover while looking at an ancient portal maybe you really you just want some kind of rich ideas of other worlds and what's really neat about these is these are really broken away from the standard cosmology of D. these aren't just your 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 great wheel the great wheel cosmos or great wheel multiverse these are totally unique and totally different worlds that exist that you can then use and sort of shake up your 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 players perceptions of what exists i'm not going to go through every one of them i'm just going to kind of skim through all of these different sort of the, the locations that exist in this world again kind of beautiful beautiful artwork so you have the citadel of the fate eater as sort of hellish landscape they oftentimes have maps and sort of not exactly adventures but clear adventure locations and the two adventures in the back actually 
tie to a couple of the locations that are that are kept in here, so, which means the adventures can be relatively thin, but still tying to the locations that exist. You can see about three or four pages for each of these locations. Uh, Erewhon, this weird sort of dreamscape place that only mortals can get to, and Celestials and Demons, they don't they don't know how to they they can't get there. You can tell it's pretty abstract when your artwork looks like that. Ether Guard, Vanished Civilization. This is the one that is like a city that resides on the back of a massive primordial, and in some cases people can't see that the primordial is there in other cases it's very apparent it's almost a world that walks across other worlds in some cases the world doesn't even know what's going on so you might be in some world and some disaster is occurring and the disaster is actually caused by the fact that this other world is sort of stomping across the whole thing pretty neat idea lots of opportunities for like what are some random encounters that just exist here so they have like a random list and again very usable okay i can drop this right in i can just roll on it and go again really speaks to how practical this book is from a from a dm perspective but also not not so wrapped around all its own specifics that you can't let it guide your general thoughts about the campaign too if that makes sense there's there's this weird bit of critical mass that a book like this needs to hit that is general enough and wide enough that it gives you a lot of material that you can use over and over and over again for years to come, but specific enough to give you practical information you can use at your table. I've talked about this before, and it's a concept that I'm I'm still getting my head around it myself. But I can it's one of these where I, I know it when I see it. And this is the kind of book that when I I, I know it when I see it. Like I, I know that this is the kind of book where I could pick this up 20 years from now and pull stuff out of it and be like, you know, that would be a fun small adventure to run on that weird walk in the city that's walking on the back of that great thing that would be fun the grove of crows sort of a i think it's a miniature shadow fell miniature shadow fell subdomain that exists it has its own corvus castle the infinite labyrinth a sort of deep deep labyrinth that's going on and it's sort of a it was it was originally a world but then the world got sort of shattered and then the, the shattered world sort of led into this labyrinth that goes off in all directions for 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 all eternity Again, look at this catacomb contents, a big D100 list, probably 50 different items on here, 25 different items on here. It looks like 30 ish different items that you can roll on weird regions. These are regions of the, of the labyrinth, right? So sub subdomain of a subdomain Lagris, the burning falls. I think this is another sort of hellscape underground sort of hellscape lair. Boy, look at that. Doesn't that look cool? I tell you, art, the, the, it's so important. Good artwork is so important for just really grabbing your imagination and running free. And many times when I was a kid, and I try to do it these days too, it's harder as you get to be an adult, of letting artwork inspire your own adventures, period. There's so many like Keith Parkinson pieces of art that I've looked at and I built whole adventures around just what I saw. You know, the, the, the cover to like the Queen of the Demon Web Pits or the cover of the Ghosts of Lankamere or something like that. And I was like, what would it be like to face like, five liches at a convention planes of mirror and shadow this is your view into parallel universes of your existing world prison of eternal torment i think this is the one where it's like a world where the the, the beings there that are imprisoned are so dangerous that they are entombed in stone so one of the things every one of these worlds has a level range what what level range is this world appropriate for prison of eternal time is suitable for a group of pcs of any level who are imprisoned without hope of escape or level 17 plus for pcs who wish to break someone out so if you're breaking into this place this is a good tier four location to, to break people out all of them have that sort of like what is this location suitable for ramia the star blade this is an entire plane that is built into the blade of a weapon so you might have a character who picks up a weapon and it turns out there's a whole universe sitting in the blade of that weapon suitable for a group of player characters of fifth to tenth level the sidebars in this really offer a lot of valuable information one of the things if you're not familiar with monty cook products is many times they'll have like a They'll have like a call out to say later dubbed the empty star, you know, the existing inescapable purgatory, unless it allowed a dark star spinning overhead later empty star. And then you're like, empty star, what's that? And then right in the side, empty star page 80. So they can create sort of a, a, a bookmark inside the physical version of the book that tells you, ah, I can go to page 80. Really cool. That's sort of all the sidebars are sort of an index. And they've been doing this since Numenera. Savudia, the swampy mindscape. So they go on and on. There's just piles and piles of all of these different worlds. Again, I'm not going to go through every single one of them. So after you get through these many, I think it's at least like a couple dozen of the main worlds, it has a whole section on additional planar locations, planar briefs, they call them. Short sort of half page, you know, half to one page descriptions just put right in sequence of a whole pile of other worlds. So again, 
You're not, you don't like the 24 worlds they've got. There's a whole pile of other worlds that they've included. Tons and tons and tons of stuff. So then you get into the, some of the crunchier, the crunchier parts of the books the monsters and, and pathwalkers. There's a handful of monsters here. And I haven't, I didn't dive too much into the mechanics of them, but I can say that like, you know, the, the cheap ass Mike Shea test of, I look at a monster's challenge rating and then I look at about how much the damage that monster does with its relatively standard attacks, with the attack that it does. And I try to do a little equation, which is roughly seven times CRs around the damage output I'm going for. Some of these guys were way above it. Some of them were way below it. So I'm not convinced that a, a DM wouldn't have to tweak these monsters somewhat luckily it's relatively easy to do in most cases you can either give it an additional attack uh or you can reduce the number of number of attacks that it has here's like a divergent skull right 114 hit points cr5 and i was like but action wise it only does like one thing a turn it only has one sort of action and a bite so you can assume like a, it's not going to fly around biting people for 10 points of damage it's probably but eye bite it might use divergent skull attacks a creature within 20 feet with a magical eye ray teacher must make a dc 16 saving day, taking 16 necrotic damage failed to over half as much but you're like 16 at cr5 like it should do three of those like it should be able to target like three different people with that so that's one of these where like i i know how i want to run monsters and what makes sense for me and i look at it and it's like this guy probably could do three times more damage than it has. Now, maybe like the erase from dimension is so powerful that that's why that it can basically take somebody and throw somebody to another dimension. So what does that count as? You're like, yeah, but I'm only going to do that once. And then what next one He's going to go around biting people. So yeah, doom. This is another one where I felt like, you know, the art and the name and the description I'm like, wow, what is that guy? And I'm like, CR1 with 13 hit points. Look at the armor he's got on. This is one where I'm like, I don't know that the stat block fits the, <laughs> the, the stat block fits the theme because it's like he makes three, and this is where he makes three Doom Blade attacks. They did 15 damage. You're like, okay, that's not nothing. But look at that sword over his back. That's, is that a short sword? That does not look like a short sword. So this is one where I really feel like the art and the stat block do not seem to, to, to fit together. That one, you know, that one's a little, a little, a little odd. This is one where you're like, it's a CR seven makes two bite attacks, but each attack does 26 points of damage. That is a lot of damage. So that's what I'm saying. Like it brings it, you know, like some of them are real swinging in one direction. Some of them are swinging in another direction. Again, they're all fixable. I'm, I'm kind of picking on this stuff. And this is why fight, like for me, for a book like this, I am far more interested in the lore and the setting material. Like that's why I bought the book. I, I'm, I'm almost sure there are DMs out there. I'm pretty sure that there are DMs that when they buy a product, they're like, I want to have some new custom monsters. I want to have monsters in it that are unique and, and different. And the problem is like monster design in 5e across the board. I, I pick on Wizards of the Coast because like Wizards of the Coast is the primary publisher of fifth edition material. So you've heard me complain about monsters for fifth edition all the time that, that were published by Wizards of the Coast. I don't know that anybody's doing it better, frankly. If you go across the board, across all third-party publishers, all of them have different either philosophies that they follow or different inconsistencies in the kind of monsters that they put out. Sometimes the philosophy is like, you know, like level up 5e, really good monster design. And boy, Paul really knew what he was doing when he was diving into those monsters. So you don't see a lot of inconsistency there. But there are occasions where you're kind of looking, like, it's a little bit more complicated than I'm used to for a monster. So in some cases, they go, they dive in deep. 2C Gaming, 2C Gaming makes tremendously powerful monsters but they're not easy to run. Like they're pretty, they, they, you know, they've got a lot going on there. MCDM is doing the, the whole new Flea Mortals, which is going to have all new monsters. And again, you look at those, but those have a particular style. And maybe you love the style of those and you, you, you run with them and they're great. Other people are like, yeah, they're definitely focused more on having high tactics. And I kind of like the simplicity of the fire giant. I know I get crap for that. So everybody has sort of different points of view, but generally what we're seeing is there's a lot of inconsistency about how fifth edition monsters are being done overall. So the big question I have is when you're doing a book like plane, like, like path of the plane breaker, how important is it to have monsters in there or how much can you tie into existing monsters? I think it's probably useful because this is such a weird place. You want to definitely have a handful of monsters. I almost wish monsters could be separated from mechanics though. And you really can't, but it's just like, again, I, I dive into it and I see monsters where I see some inconsistency, inconsistency in their design and their threat. And I know like, well, probably when I run this, I'm going to have to go in. But again, I did not like do a deep, thorough study of all of this to be absolutely sure that what I'm saying is sound. So 
For all I know, the monsters are absolutely perfect and I'm the idiot. That could certainly be. Never discount the idea that you're an idiot. So then you have NPCs. Lots of different ones. Experts, master thieves. Let's take a look at a master thief, for example. I'm just going to pick one at random. Master thief, right? 97 hit points, CR5. So CR5, 5 times 7 is what? 35? Is that right? That sounds right. So it should be about doing 35-ish points of damage. Action, actions makes two short sword attacks. Can do sneak attack. So interesting thing here is I don't think the sneak attack is limited to one hit. Once per turn. No, it is limited to one hit. So it does seven damage, and one of those can be a sneak attack. That looks like the damage it's doing is just about right. You know, that looks like it's, that looks like it is exactly where it should be. Kind of interesting to drop just the generic Master Thief stat block into a book about Path of the Plane Breaker. I don't know that I need, because there's Master Thieves in other books. I, I think I would need, like, this guy, the Psychic War Veteran, Veteran of the Psychic Wars. Isn't that, who sang that? I know it was a theme in the movie Heavy Metal. So Veteran of the Psychic Wars, I dig it. CR5, 130 hit points, AC18, that's good. Makes two longsword attacks, one with psychic, and one psychic sliver attack. Blue Oyster Cult. Bloister culted veteran of the psychic wars. Very good. Cool. Longsword attack, seven damage. Makes two of those, so seven, 14 damage. Psychic sliver, plus six, range 20 feet, 14 damage, and the target is grappled. Held in place by a psychic sliver. And then mind rip. Veteran can mind rip one grappled target. Must succeed on a DC 13 or take three psychic damage. Mm. This damage reduces the target's intelligence score maximum by an equal amount. So it drains intelligence. That's interesting. It really is a psychic war. Psychic mirror. When the veteran would be affected by spells that would inflict psychic damage, charm, or otherwise mentally influence, the, uh, the effect bounces and instead hits the target. That's kind of interesting. Again, you could probably you could probably throw a little bit more damage. 5 times 7 is 40. No, 35 points. He's not really doing... Is he? That's pretty, it's like 20-something. I'd put some psychic damage. I'd add a D6 psychic damage. I'd, I'd, I'd put some psychic damage on that longsword attack. Still, three attacks are not bad. So then you have character options. And again, so there's some interesting things about the, 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 the new species, right? They're, they're kind of versions of races. And they, they offer a couple of interesting ones. The one that really caught my eye is they have one, the Chimeran. And the Chimeran is any species and can change species, which is really a neat idea. But boy, trying to do this in play, I think might be might be challenging i don't know and the idea is here if you play this race the character can switch into any other race as long as it has had a piece of that race so if it could theoretically if it borrows some hair and toenails from its companions could shift its form into any one of the other races of any of the other characters and it does so at a long rest but that means changing your whole mechanics of your character around every time you're doing it so it's a neat idea. It even moves your ability score bonuses around and stuff like that. Again, if you're doing like the flexible ability mods, you probably wouldn't do that. So I could see I could see handling this, but I think it's going to be the kind of thing where you and your player are going to have to talk about how that works. Pretty wild idea. The idea of a of a race that just shifts into any of the other races and you just use the mechanics for those other races as you shift into them as long as you have as long as you've touched them. But what about like getting tied into humanoids that don't have character races? How would that work? I don't know. Then they have some subclasses as well. Again, I have a feeling that like subclasses sell, but I don't, I doubt they're used very often. Now you might say again, if you grab onto path of the plane breaker and it's years from now and you're still playing fifth edition and you're like, Hey, I want to, you know, I want to run this campaign. You might say we are going to use the subclasses from this book. But again, then you have that trouble. Like the subclasses only exist in this book. How do you get that to your players so they can use it in their game? Like, you know, it, it, not separating that out into like a separate cheap player packet that you can sell to players. It makes it a little harder to use this kind of stuff. So I often wonder, like, would I be happier if they had more adventures in here or if they had expanded out the, the, the land and, and, and not use character options? I mean, I don't get a choice. And frankly, it's still... It's a very useful book. I'm picking on it a little bit, but I really, you know, overall, I really love this book. I just don't know that I'm going to be as excited about the spell class, about the, about the character focus stuff than I am. I think a lot of it is they want to try to sell books to players as well as to DMs. And so if you include some player options and there are hardcore players out there who are really into these things and they think like, if I buy this, maybe I can bring it to my DM and they'll let me bring it in. I think they might sell it that way. But I do wonder like, wouldn't it be better to just have a player guide? and have like a campaign book. I really like what, again, what Cobalt Press did with Southlands. Here's your Southlands campaign book. You just want that. But there's also a player guide that has player options and that's cheaper. So you can tell your players, go buy the, go buy the player guide. Or, and then you might have a book of adventures and have three separate, three separate adventures. Spells as well. 
Now, spells are a little different because as a GM, spells are useful to me. One of the things I think we often don't consider is that spells are a very useful DM guide as well as a player guide because we can tie spells to anything. We can tie spells to magic items. We can tie spells. We can put spells on scrolls and treat them like loot. We can add spells to monsters. If we want to give a monster a weird effect, just pick out an interesting spell and tie it to a monster. You can tie it to a pillar in an evil throne room. You can tie it to a physical object. There's all sorts of ways to take the mechanics of spells and tie it to things that are in the world of our game that are a way for us DMs to use spells almost like they're monsters. They're sort of encapsulated effects that we can apply to all different kinds of things. Spells as loot, spells as a component of a magic item, spells as a way to modify a monster, spells as a way to modify an environment. All of these are ways to do it. And the really cool thing is we don't have to stick to just spells that exist in like the player's handbook or that are published by Wizards of the Coast. We could take spells from anywhere, any third party product that is generating spells, we can go through. And because we're not dumping all of them out all at once, we don't have to worry about like, oh, I don't trust that these spells are all properly balanced because you're only going to pick out one of them. And so you can pick out that one spell and you can look at it and say, does that work? And if you use it as like a single use magic item, it's okay if it's broken one way or the other. If it's broken and it's not very powerful, maybe they just throw it away or they only use it the once and they're done. Maybe if it's really broken and powerful, that's okay because they're only going to use it one time. And using a magic item one time that's really broken and powerful is really cool. So think as, as a DM, think about spells as, as a component for you, that a spell is a way for you to take a particular mechanical power and tie it to a magic item, to a reward or a, a scroll or a single use magic item that the characters can use, that you can apply to a monster to make a monster unique, or that you can even just apply the effects of the spell over a location so that the players can, can, can figure it out. One of the cool things about using third-party spells for this is that the players aren't going to recognize them. They won't have any idea about these spells because they're not in the player's handbook. They're not in the standard books that they're reading. So in this case, you are using a spell that's totally unique that they might never have seen before, and you're able to pull it from all of these materials. So all of these different publishers that are publishing third-party spells, that's an excellent way to do it. One of the books in particular I would recommend is Deep Magic by Cobalt Press has like a thousand spells in it. It's got way more spells than you could ever use in your gamer than your players could ever memorize but you can go in and pick out particular spells and tie it to a particular magic item or to a particular monster or make it a single use item that the characters can use one time all different kinds of ways that you can use spells like that there there's two two tips for you kind of the same tip but a different angle which is that your players your players really don't know so that's really cool. Then you have a pile of magic items. Again, magic items, that's definitely useful for DMs. And because it's got like a random table here, the other cool thing that they do in here, I think it's in the back of the book, is they have random magic item lists that include items that make sense for this location. That the items that you might find across these different planes that exist as standard SRD standard D&D sort of monsters. So really cool stuff. Again, use, useful things. I think magic items, a lot of times also, even if you don't necessarily like the mechanics of a magic item, the theme and the images and everything else from a magic item you might like, and then you can just tweak the mechanics a little bit and get it, get it where you want it. I've done that with some Cobalt Press stuff. I, I, I would read a magic item and go, I love the idea of this, but I want to just change the mechanics. You just change it a little bit. Really great stuff. The book includes two adventures. Both of these adventures tie to locations. So you'll see the adventures themselves are relatively are relatively small, but they definitely tie back into they definitely tie back to these other locations. So really, really, really cool stuff. I keep saying that over and over again. Now finally in the back matter, we have a a, a, a toolbox, a bunch of different tools that DMs can use to further use all the material in this book. You have random planar encounters, very useful. And again, I really like random encounters that don't just say a green hag, but instead say a green hag and her artisan teacher have set up an easel and are painting the scene. Like really kind of neat stuff. An Oni in the guise of a helpful traveler tries to lead the party astray, the PCs astray. Great stuff. And I think that there's a full, let's see, it's a one to 60. Oh, X one, two or three. What does that mean? I don't understand. Roll one, two, or three d20s and add them to obtain a result on the table. The more d20s you roll, the higher the likelihood of rolling an encounter with a higher challenge rating. No guarantee of an equitable encounter. So that's kind of a cool idea. I think if you roll three d20, it's going to land closer in the middle, right? But if you only roll two or one, it's going to limit. That's an interesting way of doing a random table. I've never seen one like that before. Very cool. Random planar landscapes. Again, you're traveling through these. What are some weird things that you might see across the plains? Big D100 list for that. Random planar locations. 
And then salvage. What are the things that you might find in the sea of uncertainty? Weird things from other worlds that are that lay trapped. Again, a D100 list for that. And then a nice index. There are actually two more Plane Breaker books coming out. The, plain, the Planar Bestiary coming out in 2023 and the Plane Breaker options for advancing characters from or adventuring in the planes. It's kind of interesting that they built these books or that they're going to have these books next year, but they include both of these kinds of material in this book too. So you can't just buy this book and you get a fair bit, but it looks like they're going to be expanding this outward. I think that was all based on the success of the Kickstarter. So that is Path of the Plane Breaker by Monty Cook Games. I really, really like this book. It is, it is really cool. And like I said, I was worried about where Planescape was going to go. And I don't have to worry about Planescape anymore because regardless of what happens with Planescape, I always have Plane Breaker. If I want to run a big extra planar campaign, this is a fantastic way to build a campaign that can span multiple worlds, that can have the characters traveling from place to place and really build that kind of adventure. So I really love it. I highly recommend it. I highly recommend getting both the physical and the PDF version because they're both absolutely beautiful and very, very useful. It's time for some Patreon questions. Every month, I take questions from a single monthly Q&A thread that the patrons of Sly Flourish contribute to. They're questions about D&D-related stuff. I either talk about it, I answer every one of them on Patreon. Sometimes I bring them up to talk about on this show, and other times I do either an article or a video somewhere else. First question from Joshua. I'm having trouble squaring the six truths about the world with not providing spoilers to the players. Specifically, what if one or more of the truths are are entirely unknown to the characters? Or, to put it another way, what if one of the truths is also one of the secrets and clues within the campaign? I don't see how a DM should share that information in a session zero without giving away too much. That's a good question. The truths of a campaign are not secrets. Your campaign might have secrets. You might have things in the back of of your mind that you don't want to yet reveal. I would not put those, I would not consider those the six truths. The six truths don't really serve you the same way secrets and clues serve you. The six truths are there to serve your players. They're there to help your players understand the kind of world that they're going to be making their character in. They are designed to summarize the world in a way that is palatable for for players with their busy lives to help them understand how they're going to make their character. So anything that, and again, this is how I use it. So if you use it differently, if you want to kind of separate it out, totally cool. Whatever works for you works. But the way that I've often think about it is that the, the six truths are things everybody knows. They are the things the characters already know. They're not secrets that are held back. So then the question is, well, what about the secrets of the world? Where do you put those? And my answer is you don't put them anywhere because the secrets of the world don't really matter. Not yet. What matters are the secrets that the characters are going to discover when they're exploring your next game. And this is where you kind of change your your scope and the scale of how you think about your game. It's very easy to get lost thinking about the world of your game, the major campaign of the game, the major things that are going on, and always having your head in this whole great big scape without realizing, oh my God. God, I have a game I'm running in 50 minutes and I need to know what they're going to have happen in that game. That's the one that matters. What happens in the next game is what matters. What's happening in the bigger scope of the world, that's all malleable. That all changed. You don't know if the truths that you were going to think about for the world that you didn't want your players to know. You don't know if those truths are still going to be true depending on what direction the characters go. So instead, I don't really worry about and I don't recommend worrying about the secrets of the campaign overall. I recommend worrying about the things that are player focused, that are player player-facing stuff, the things that they either know right away, like the six truths of the world, or the things that they're going to discover, like secrets and clues. Jesse A says, have you been following all of the AI art generation lately? I've been using Midjourney, and it's been a great dungeon, lazy dungeon master tool for me. Generating NPC portraits, magic items, flavor images for locations is easy, and the quality is super high. Plus, you can you own what you can create and can even use it for commercial production. Is this a tool you'll be adding to your toolkit? And any tips for how to use it for a session or campaign prep? I've only just dipped my toe in. I did also use Midjourney. I think Midjourney has a Discord server where you can type in queries and it returns images. And I really liked it. But also for my own campaigns, for my home campaigns where I'm not sharing the material, it's really easy for me to do a Google search and almost always somebody has drawn something that's pretty similar to what I want to find. So it's rare when the topic that I'm trying to find art for doesn't already have existing art that was generated by a human being. The idea of using it for, so I I think that if it's easy enough to use, if it's fast enough to use, and those are always the questions that I think are important from a lazy GM perspective, like, is it faster to have an AI render a piece of art for you 
is that faster than just Googling the piece of art and seeing if something already exists? And if you Google it and you don't really find anything, or if the thing you have is really specific, then maybe you're better off going with the AI one. Now, there is this question of like, from a, from its standpoint of using it in your home game, I don't think there's any real issues with using AI-generated art, right? Where use art from wherever you can find it. It's your home game. You're sitting there with your friends, you're showing a picture to them, and then it's done. You're not publishing work. The idea of publishing work with AI-generated art, that's a whole different topic that I don't yet have a formulated opinion on. I think I heard recently that drive through RPG, that one bookshelf is requiring that you identify the fact that you are using AI-generated art in your product. And part of that is the idea that, you know, we don't want to put artists out of business, right? We don't want to set up a system where, where people aren't actually generating art themselves and everything that we're using is all based on, all based on artificial, on artificial intelligence art. I don't, I haven't put my head around that whole topic yet, so I can't speak to it. But I, I know I have no plans to use AI generated art in any product that I want. I want to, I want to support artists. I want to hire artists who can use their human creative brains to imagine the things that I'm describing. And I cannot imagine that an AI can come up with a piece of art that meets the kinds of stuff that the artists that I'm that are are making art for my books do. I, I I don't see that yet. There's also that question of are you not are you not sort of pilfering existing art that went in to train the AI? And what does that mean? I I, I don't suppose that there are legal I don't I don't know. I really don't know what like the legal issues are or even the moral issues are of the idea that like, well, AI, the reason why AI art is coming out so good is because it's trained on the art of artists who actually made it. But you're just taking the results of that for free. Is that a derivative work? I don't know. I'm not going to get into it. But all I can tell you is I would, I would be careful about using it for published work. And, but I think for a home game, if it's easy, it's easy. Like the guerrilla warfare of us getting our games together means we should be able to take art from wherever we want to take it because it's just for our home game. That's my feeling on it. So Jesse, I hope that answers your question. Friends, I want to thank you all for spending time with me today uh, talking about D&D. It's always a great pleasure to, to talk about all of this with you. If you enjoyed this show and you want to help me out, you can subscribe to the Sly Flourish newsletter. Subscribers get a weekly D&D article sent directly to your inbox along with a free PDF adventure generator. You can support me directly on Patreon and get access to things like the 38-page City of Arches sourcebook, a whole bunch of other exclusive adventures, access to the Discord server, access to the monthly Q&A, all different kinds of things. You can pick up any of my books at the Sly Flourish bookstore. The, link, the links for all of these are in the show notes below. The Sly Flourish bookstore has physical copies of Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, the Lazy Dungeon Master's workbook, and the Lazy DM's Companion, all available and in stock. Or you can help me out by passing this video along to your friends, liking it, sharing it, subscribing to the station, and letting everybody know how much you enjoy this show. Thank you all so much for your time today. Have a great day, and get out there and play some D&D.